Once again, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. And so we say, thanks be to God. Uh, You all have already lived and preached the sermon today. Uh, But as we've given thanks, I want to just talk for a few moments with you from this passage about Thanksgiving's twin sister, Joy. They usually go together in the Bible, joy and thanksgiving, even in you, as you heard in the verses that I just read. And so before we leave this year's study of Philippians totally behind, I want to just try to squeeze one last drop of teaching about joy from it. Uh, two weeks ago, you heard Mark Lindsay and Larry and a supposed Carson Cobb YouTube impersonator uh, that Philippians is a book about joy. And it is. Over and over throughout the letter, Paul writes to this church and tells them to rejoice. And this is his parting salvo in verse 4 that you just heard where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. So even though he's already told them multiple times in the letter, he's like, okay, one last time. Let me just underscore, highlight, bold, circle, italicize, capitalize this. Rejoice, seriously though, rejoice. Paul is apparently very concerned that these Christians, and by extension, we Christians, be a happy lot. Which if you think about it for a minute, makes perfect sense. Christians claim to serve a God in whose presence there is fullness of joy. Psalm 16. Jesus Christ endured the cross because he was motivated by joy. And he prayed that his followers would be filled with joy. Joy is said to be a fruit or a direct result of your life being filled with God's Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that the whole story of the world began in joy and will culminate in joy one day when God returns to set everything right. So did you know that Christianity is meant to be a glad faith with a glad people? Isn't this why so many of us became Christians in the first place? Because we were on a quest for joy, which I think we're all on, whether you're listening today as a Christian or not. We all long for this ever elusive sense of deep joy. And in recounting his own journey to faith, um, author C.S. Lewis described joy as an inconsolable longing deeper than mere pleasure or happiness, and having as much overlap with grief as anything else. For of of course, joy and grief, both fully expressed, shed tears. And these stabs or pangs of joy have led so many of us to the only thing that could soothe our soul's ache for joy, and that's God himself. My point is just this, joy makes total sense for a Christian and the quest for joy is how so many of us became Christians in the first place. And yet how many of us struggle to maintain a sense of joy or gratitude in our day to day? Perhaps most of us, or perhaps I'm just projecting onto you. 
There's a reason though that Paul repeats this command in this letter over and over and over again. You see, even even for like wonderful, mature Christians like those in Philippi, which remember is like Paul's favorite church, they needed direct, explicit, frequent reminders to rejoice and to be thankful. But is this directive really that helpful? Hey, be happy, you know? On the surface, this sounds a lot like the Calypso advice of Bobby McFerrin, popularized, of course, by the iconic Big Mouth Billy Bass. Don't worry, be happy. You know, if you're from the South, you know one of your grandfathers got this for Christmas at some point along the way. But the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, if you listen to the verses, it depicts things like homelessness, poverty, loneliness, And then it just surmises that, well, worrying just makes things worse. So, you know, don't worry, be happy. And I actually can't decide now after watching the music video if Bobby McFerrin is actually being serious or sarcastic. Because in the music video, you watch the actors, one of whom is Robin Williams, plaster, obviously fake, forced smiles on their faces as they ridiculously dance their way through life's problems. Uh, Elizabeth Bernstein in a Wall Street Journal article called this approach toxic positivity. We're just telling someone to cheer up, try to look on the bright side, have a winning attitude, usually makes things worse and is super annoying to boot. So stifling or ignoring the sadness or grief or anger we feel in times of difficulty, she says, is bound to backfire. So is Paul using toxic positivity on us here? Is this the womp womp, you know? I don't, I don't think so. Because in her article, uh, just to quote Elizabeth Bernstein one more time, she goes on to quote uh, Dr. David Kessler, who says that the difference between toxic positivity or fake positivity and real hope is that hope must be rooted in reality, how things really are. Hope or joy can be rightly taken in all circumstances if there is a real basis for it. So what is Paul saying? Look carefully. He doesn't just say, rejoice always. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. He doesn't say, rejoice in your circumstances, rejoice in your bank accounts, or even rejoice because you're a Christian and you're supposed to be happy for crying out loud. He says, rejoice in the Lord. So what does that mean? Well, for starters, you should know that your joy and your happiness are always in something. Joy is never a standalone thing. It's parasitic. It's always attached to what you care most about. Joy is always in or attached to something. So, I mean, I super enjoyed watching the Atlanta Braves win the World Series this year. I remember watching them win the the World Series when I was a kid in 1995. And this year brought back all kinds of nostalgia to me from my 90s kid days. Uh, But this year, I still held my breath the whole time. Because as a 90s Braves fan, I know what it is to be let down. (laughs) After 1995, the Braves would go on to win all kinds of division titles, but lose in the playoffs every year. And so every year as a kid, I mean, I would get so excited when the playoffs rolled around. I knew the batting average of all the players, I knew the pitchers, ERA, and all that stuff, but inevitably, 
I would go to bed one night near the end of the season, totally bummed out and stay that way for a few days. Why? Because I loved the Braves. My joy was hitched to their wagon. So when Paul says rejoice in the Lord, he's saying you've got to attach your joy to something durable. Your joy must be in something that actually can give you a good reason to rejoice in all of life's seasons. So what is that? Paul says we are to rejoice in the Lord. And when he uses that phrase, the Lord, he's not just talking about God generically. When when Paul talks about the Lord, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying that we can and should rejoice in all that we have in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, how he has loved you and how he's given himself for you. There's an African-American spiritual that has about a dozen words in the whole song. And it goes like this. I get joy when I think about what he's done for me. I get joy when I think about what he's done for me. I get joy when I think about what he's done for me. So where do you get your joy? What is it attached to? if you will fasten it to the Lord Jesus and what he's done for you, you will always have a reason to rejoice and give thanks. So maybe you're here today and your life is pretty good. You have a lot of things that you're excited about and that's wonderful, but don't attach your deepest joy to them. They can only give you so much and go so far. They are fragile. And so Paul would tell you, rejoice in the Lord Always, again, I say to you who are loving life right now, give thanks and rejoice in Christ. Or maybe you're here and you feel totally the opposite, that you don't have very much to rejoice in and you're not feeling particularly thankful at all. Perhaps this is due to poor health, broken relationships, or your own struggles or failures, and you just don't have any joy. And so let me say again, as we've already seen in Philippians, even mature and wonderful Christians do struggle with joy. And to be clear, there are a lot of good reasons in this broken, cursed world to grieve and to hurt and to feel deep sorrow. But in just a moment, if you're a follower of Christ, today we invite you to come to this table and to take this bread and this cup to have a tangible reminder in this moment of what God has done for you. His body broken, his blood poured out. Perhaps this is the one thing that you can take and give thanks for in your life right now. And so Paul would say to you, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say to you who are broken and weary, rejoice in Christ you still have a reason to rejoice, to be thankful. And that reason is rooted in the deepest reality there is, the love of Christ for you. So if you're a Christian walking in fellowship with Christ, you're welcome to take the Lord's Supper here at North Wake. If you've not personally trusted in Jesus and his work on the cross for you, or you aren't sure what that means, 
Or if you are a Christian who has strayed from Christ, then we'd ask that you refrain from taking the supper. But we would love for you to take Christ himself today by placing your deepest trust and hope in him that you might know too what it is to always have a reason to be joyful and thankful. And to that end, you're always welcome to come speak with one of our leaders during this time or with a friend, someone nearby. So if you are taking the supper, please hold on to the bread and the cup after you get them and reflect, pray, give thanks, reattach your joy to the Lord Jesus and what he's done for you. And then after everyone's had a chance to get the elements, I'll I'll lead us all together in taking the supper. So let's pray. Father, we come to you in Christ to give you thanks today. So would you help us by your Holy Spirit, help us to see all that we have in him still and that it would lead us to greater and greater joy each day of our lives. Help us to be a people who are marked by thankful and joyful hearts so that we would know the peace of God that comes from giving thanks for your great sacrifice for us. We give you thanks that you have given us yourself and in you we always have a reason to rejoice. Amen. So as you come to take the supper, please use the center and then the wall aisles to approach the table and then use these other two middle aisles to return to your seats.
So on the night before the cross, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The precious blood of Jesus poured out for us. Let's take it and give thanks with joy. <laughs> 